be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. And just to summarize about every week, just to briefly remind you about last week, that this whole series has been about not speaking evil, not saying the things that we really ought not say. And I know there's always things that we know we ought not say, but sometimes it takes the word of God to, to make us dig a little bit deeper and realize there's probably some things that we're saying that we didn't think we're all that bad that the Scripture would tell us who we are. And we need to, to let the Word begin to change us and, and clean up our mouth. We need to let it be Grandma's bar of soap, you know, that gets stuck in the mouth and, and has to sit there for a little while. I don't really know what that's like, not because I never said anything bad. My mom just didn't do that. But Brother Jason got it all the time. He told me about it, having it. Eat on that soap. So I, some of you were raised that you had to have your mouth washed out with soap. That's what we need to let the Bible do tonight. We need to let the Scripture clean up the things that we say. We should never speak evil of our brother. We shouldn't speak evil of our neighbor. We shouldn't speak evil of anybody. But not only should we not speak it, we ought not listen to it. It, it's pretty easy. That, that first step, it's easy for you to get you there. Drag you on in and say, yeah, we need to stop saying some things maybe I've been saying sometimes in my life. But it's a different story to, to make a concerted effort to not hear it, to not listen to it. But you can't let that inside of you because that evil speaking destroys the person speaking it. It destroys the person that they're talking about, and it destroys the person that is listening to it. So we've got to be careful what we let all upon our ears. And so, you know, how in the world would you stop that? How would you stop that? Well, there, there are some folks. There, there are some situations. There, there are some, some circumstances that you have often found yourself in in times past, and you know, if you're honest with yourself, that there's a pretty good chance there's going to be a lot of evil spoken and they're probably not going to listen to you tell a hush. And so if that's the case, that's probably not the company you need to keep. That's probably not the situations that you need to be in. If nothing but evil ever comes across the table at the break table at work, either fire up a Bible study or find somewhere else to sit because you don't need to listen to all those evil things that one person is saying about another. I want my heart to be right. I want my heart to be right before God. My heart's not going to be right before God if my heart is not right toward you and towards everybody else. And we also stop it not just by avoiding it because you can't avoid everybody and you couldn't save anybody. You, know, you, you can't stay out of every situation, but there are times that you and I need to speak up. And we need to put a stop to it. I'm not talking about, you know, whipping the pepper spray out of your purse and and say, we're going to put these folks down. I'm not talking about when they're rolling up your sleeves and, and saying, oh, it's time to you know, run off the fisticuffs or something. I'm not talking about standing up with the right spirit, with the right words, with the kindness in your heart, and saying, I don't believe that about my brother. I don't think we need to be talking like that. I don't, I don't want to continue this conversation. That's just not right, my sister. We need to stop saying these things about somebody else. And we need to learn to become our brother and our sister's advocate and not their adversary. We need to be their defender and not their accuser. Because we all know who gets that title. And I don't want to find myself in the same boat again. I don't want to ever be called the accuser of 
the brethren, then I don't want to be the one standing before God pointing out your sins. Because there's this little story in the New Testament that the Lord tells us that, that whatever we beat out is what's going to be returned to us. And so if I'm too quick to point out somebody else's sins, well, the Lord ain't going to have to dig all that deep to find mine. And I want my sins under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I want to become my brother's advocate, his defender, and not his accuser. Yeah, but so tonight we go on to something that really is connected to all this. This is kind of the next extension of what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to introduce you with an English word. I'll give you the Hebrew word for it. But, but the English word is slander. We've all heard it before. We've all heard the term slander before. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 10 and 18, just one verse, it says, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. One that hides hatred with lying lips, and he that utters a slander. Now, we all understand you know, what, what lying is all about. Some of you have heard this before, but uh, just to make you smile before we kind of dig a little bit deeper, the thing that I, like I said, I, somebody's heard me say this before, these are famous American fibs, things like the check is in the mail. And I'll start my diet tomorrow. The check says four weeks in, I turned to leave over yet. Some of us said we're going to start a diet on January 1st, and it's almost February. And we service what we sell. That's a novel idea. Give me your number and the doctor will call you right back. So folks have been waiting on a doctor and call for a decade. And money cheerfully refunded. Nobody's ever cheerfully refunded money. One size fits all. This was not even on my list, but I always laugh every time I buy a men's dresser that says wrinkle free. Because usually when they say wrinkle free, it's going to be more wrinkled than any other shirt I have on. This offer limited to the first hundred people who called in. Your luggage isn't lost, it's only misplaced. Leave your resume, we'll keep it on file. When Mama says this hurts me more than it hurts you, it don't. I just need five minutes of your time. Your table will be ready in a few minutes. Open wide, it won't hurt a bit, but then it says, let's have lunch sometime, and it's not the money, it's the principal. You know good and well, it's the money. Famous American lies. We, we know what lies are. So, so what does this have to do with slander? Slander is when someone makes a false and damaging statement about somebody else. It's when they are telling something that is false and damaging about somebody else. Generally, when it comes to you know court of law, you know that the primary defense against slander is the truth. Somebody says you lied about that, and, and you say, "Well, you, you're slandering me." Well, did you do it? Well, yes, and that's not slander. You did it. It might be negative. It might be damaging. It might be derogatory. But the primary defense against slander is the truth. Is the statement the truth or not? Now, I know we talked a little bit about the fact that, that just because things are the truth doesn't mean they need to be spoken at all times in every situation. But we should always speak the truth. We should never be guilty of lying for any reason whatsoever. Uh, it, it's just not in Scripture. I, I don't find anywhere where there's 
a such thing as a little white lie. I don't see where it's okay to be dishonest. God said, let your yeses be yeses and your noes noes. We should always tell the truth. So what does this have to do with, with evil speech? What does it have to do with, with all with these things we've been talking about? If I know not to lie, and everybody in here knows not to lie, you know, then how is this connected to me speaking or me listening to evil speech? Numbers chapter 35. We'll show you. Numbers chapter 35 and verse 30 says, Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. We've been talking for a couple weeks about what the Lord said about hating your brother. What the Lord said about it, He said in Matthew 5 22, but I say unto you, you remember this from a couple weeks ago, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall save his brother, Rechab, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall save thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. It's all about the things that are coming out of our mouth. The words that we're saying. We know that hating our brother is wrong. We know that it's wrong and that the outgrowth of that, which is the things that come out of our mouth, when we hate our brother out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know that when we begin to speak evil of our brother, it is the same thing as murder. Well, I know you're not going to spend 25 years of life in jail for it, but the Lord tells us that we are in trouble with him simply by hating our brother. That we are in danger of God. We are in danger of being judged by God because we hate our brother. And it is our hatred for our brother. It is our hatred for somebody else that causes us to speak evil of them. And just in case that's not clear enough, 1 John 3 15 says, Whosoever hated his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding. Jesus kind of lets you get there on your own. John, you know, John was out, I was listening to Brother Raymond Woodward talk about one of these epistles of John, and he said John was, was the last living of the original apostles. He, he lived longer than the rest of them. By the time he wrote most of what he wrote, all the other ones were dead. And he, 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 he was an older man, he'd seen a lot of things, and, you know, you know how old folks act. So you are old folks. Mm -hmm. You know how they act sometimes. You've seen a whole lot of life. You don't want to be around those people. We're going to be right before. Get right down to what we're doing. I guess John's going to make sure that in case you didn't figure it out before. Here it is. If you hate your brother, you are a murderer. And if you are a murderer, you ain't going to heaven. Plain and simple. The Spirit of the Lord is, is not abiding in you if you hate your brother. And so now let's go back to the Old Testament. The scripture from the very giving of the law, from the very beginning, when, when sin was revealed in all of its lack of glory to mankind, we began to realize all the many ways in which we were sinners. It was stated in the law that there were crimes that you could not be convicted of unless there were witnesses. And not just one, but two, 
or three. If there weren't two or three, you couldn't be convicted, even if you did it. Even if you're guilty, you could not be sentenced to die because one person walked up and said, I saw you. It wasn't enough. This comes from the U.S. Department of Justice's website. One of the first steps in preparing for trial is talking to witnesses who can be called to testify in court. And a witness is a person who saw or heard the crime take place or may have important information about the crime or the defendant. It says both the defense and the prosecutor can call witnesses to testify or tell what they know about the situation. What the witness actually says in court is called testimony. In court, the witness is called to sit near the judge. Let that sink in for a little bit. On the witness stand. And in order to testify, witnesses must take an oath to agree or affirm to tell the truth. We all know what witnesses are because y'all watch some TV show about court. We know what they do. We know their purpose. So why have witnesses? This, this precedes law and order on television. It precedes the United States of America. This whole idea comes from the Old Testament. It comes from Scripture. What would happen in this world if this wasn't a thing? If there, if there didn't have to be multiple witnesses to seeing a crime? You have, he said, and she said. You have one person's word against another. And so how would the judge, how would anybody know who was telling the truth? How would they know? One person says yes, one person says no. Who is right? How would you know who is lying and who is telling the truth? We know that God knows. He is, after all, the supreme judge. He's the one you have to sit by. He knows who's lying. But in man's court, unless there's the gift of prophecy or the divine revelation that's taking place, we don't know just by looking at a man, listening to what he's saying, whether or not he's telling the truth. There, even though there's such a thing as lie detectors, there are folks that can be them. So, why have such a system? Deuteronomy 17 and 6 says, At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, Shall he that is worthy of death be put to death? But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. Shall not. Now, we're not in court here. That's not what this is all about. I'm going to talk a little bit about heaven in court. I don't know if there's one up there in heaven or not. There's not one here tonight. And we're not usually in court when somebody is, is speaking evil of their brother. Because you're not going to speak it right. We're not sitting in that situation. So where in the world is the preacher going with all this stuff? What do these witnesses have to do with anything? Why is that significant about whether or not you and I are going to listen to what somebody else says about another person? Exodus chapter 23, 1. Still the Old Testament, still the same law. Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked 
to be an unrighteous witness. So this is telling us we've got to be awful careful of who we get in the boat with, of who we're aligning ourselves with. Nobody's going to be convicted by one witness. It's going to have to be two or three, but the Scripture tells us don't you get called into being a false witness. Don't get yourself dragged into standing up on the wrong side of the truth. See, it's easy enough for us to understand we shouldn't lie. That's pretty simple. We learned that when we learned the Ten Commandments as a child. And we know that, that not being a liar means never being a false witness yourself. We know that that's what it's all about. But what about when you begin to put your hand, when you begin to put your voice in with somebody that is a false witness? Well, it's easy enough to understand if you know somebody's lying. You, know, you certainly don't want to be a part of somebody else's lie. But here's when we get into trouble listening to evil speech. Do you know if what's just been said about your brother or your sister or your neighbor, do you know if it is true? Do you know that what they said about your brother, sister, pastor, your friend, even your enemy, do you know that what they said is true? Do you know that that person that is telling you what they're telling you is telling you the truth. What we think on the inside of how do you know? How do you know that it's the truth? You did not witness it. How many witnesses does that person that told you the thing, how many witnesses does that make? It makes one. Which means whether the person did it or they did not do it, they're not going to be convicted by one witness. So how do I know if the thing that is said is partly or wholly or not at all true if I did not witness. Is one witness enough for you to believe something that you weren't there to see and that you weren't there to hear? How much trouble would stop? How much evil speaking would be silenced if we simply refused to believe something that didn't measure up God's standard. It might be true. It might be the absolute bona fide truth. But I don't know whether it is or not. But if I choose to believe it, I've believed a lie. And nothing good ever comes from believing lies. And God forbid my mouth open itself and repeat the lie. When the only safe course of action to keep my heart right and to keep the character of my brother or my 
sister or my friend or my neighbor or my enemy intact is for me to be unwilling to believe those words just because one person told me. Now let's get back to the New Testament. Lest we think those, those are part of that law that we've got to do. 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his son of the Lord, the pastor that he's left there to oversee this body of believers. Chapter 5 verse 19 says, Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. The elder could have done it, whatever it is. But he said, Timothy, don't listen to it if there's only one witness. Don't listen to it if there's only one witness, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself There's times that evil things have to be dealt with. There's times that evil things have to be dealt with in the church. There's times that sin has to be dealt with in the church. There are times that people do evil things and somebody does have to be told. We may have to tell somebody to maintain somebody else's safety. We may have to tell somebody to stop crimes from occurring. We may have to tell somebody to maintain the unity of the church. But we are not to take action. And I'm not just talking about a church discipline meeting. I also mean we are not to receive it. We are not to believe what has been said unless it meets God's standard. Why? Because I have opened up God's heart to Full 
story. How rarely does one person ever have the full story. God forbid that I open up my heart to think less of you, to think less of somebody else about something that I don't know if it's true or not. It's very hard for all of us to be subjective. Some are better at it than others, but nobody's completely objective because we're people. We all have our prejudices. We all have our, our, our deceptions. We all have our, our, our feelings and our emotions. And, and what I thought I saw happen is not exactly what you thought you saw happen. why the Lord says, don't Because the object of these that you saw after is the truth. Not the opinion, but the truth. The word says, thou shalt not raise a false report that I read to you just a few minutes ago. And the rendering of that says, do not accept a false report. Don't accept it. It doesn't mean that it's a lie. It doesn't mean that your brother told you a story. It doesn't mean you should never believe what your brother says. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm not saying, Walker and I, I can believe you because you're the only person that saw it. What it means is that if you only have one witness, there's work still yet to be done. Now let's face it, there's some things not worth digging into. Because that'll stop a lot of even speech all by itself. If it's not important enough to go do all that digging to verify exactly what happened, let it die and stop talking about it before. But if it is something of extreme importance, it doesn't mean I can't believe the brother or sister or the person that told me. It means that I'm not going to believe it until I get down to what God wants me to do, which is make sure that I have the truth. Solomon said back in Proverbs 10 and 18, we just read, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is hateful. All of us are guilty. Some point in time of our life, we heard something from somebody, we took it in good confidence, we know that they, they, they wouldn't tell us a lie on purpose. And so we went and told somebody else what it was that we heard. And then we later found out that it was not true. I'm not the source of that information, but nonetheless, when I chose to be a speaker of, and a repeater of that information, I made myself a liar. Is what came from my mouth. Why didn't mean it? I can apologize for it. I can try to make amends for it. But you got to remember that thing about speech. Once it's spoken, you can't unspeak it. You may not get to everybody that needs to be apologized to. You may not get to everybody that information needs to be corrected to. They'll spend the rest of their days thinking about Look at the garbage that happens in the media all the time. You, you see these accusations that are not backed up by any evidence whatsoever about any some particular person. He gets blasted all over newspapers and websites, and their character, their reputation just gets creamed and destroyed. And then three weeks later, we find out that wasn't true. We made a mistake before. How many people never go back and look that up? You know, it's always amazing in the newspapers, you have a front page story. They use font size 14,000 right there on the main page. Jeremy calls you, gets called at the liquor store. Whatever it may be, blasting all over the page. But then when they 
love it. We apologize. Last week was slightly incorrect. I, I get infuriates me every week with paper cups. I see all those those arrests that are down there. Because I understand those things are part of public record. I know what the law says. But here's the thing: an arrest is not a conviction. You got arrested for something that they thought you did. You may later go and get, you know, exonerated in a court of law. But the newspaper ain't coming back six months from now and say, Jeremy Causey didn't, didn't rob the bank. It was somebody that looked like All you know is I saw Jeremy's picture in the arrest section. Now, I, I, I know, I know 98% of that is not slander. I know 98% of the time those folks probably did exactly what it says that they did. But sometimes it's a lie. And it just gets repeated, and it just gets put into people's hearts. What makes something a lie? Well, I, I can think of two things. One is the easy one. It doesn't measure up to reality. It actually did not occur. You said it's raining outside, and it's not raining. It's a lie. It's not the truth. You say you paid fifty dollars for it, and you only paid forty dollars for it, guys. You know, it, it, it's a lie. It's not the truth. Plain and simple. It doesn't measure up to what actually occurred. But there's something else that can be a lie. If it conflicts with the word of God, because here's the thing about God: He's always right. His word is always true, even when I don't yet know it. There's things about the word of God somebody might look into, and they don't believe that. They don't see it as true. It might take 15 years for God to give them the revelation of exactly how that is true. But that didn't mean that it wasn't true 15 years ago. Romans chapter 3 and verse 3 says, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? See, we're living in a day where you don't have to have evidence. If you don't have to have proof, you don't have to have reality in anything. Just because you believe it, that must make it true. I don't know whether the election was stolen or not, but somebody's lying. Half of America's lying. I don't know which one it is, but half of America's lying because it was either stolen or it wasn't stolen. They, they both can't be true. This is the truth. No president. If it doesn't measure, he said, he said, if they don't believe, does that mean that it's not true? That it made their faith of God without effect? And he says, God forbid. Let God be true, but every man a liar. As it's written, that thou mightest be justified in thy saints, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. You want to know the one way that no matter whether there's one or a billion witnesses, I can make sure that the words coming out of my mouth are absolutely and completely true? It's when I'm speaking the word of God. Because it's forever settled in heaven. It can't be changed. It can't be undone. It cannot be performed. If it's God's word, it is the truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. Anything that doesn't line up with the word of God is a lie. Now, how does that tie back in? First Timothy chapter 6, back to the, the same person Paul was talking to, just the very next chapter. Verse 20 says, 
Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. That word science is basically knowledge. Oppositions of knowledge falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Knowledge is a knowledge, and a fact is not a fact if it doesn't measure up to God's word. So it's not just people being witnesses of things. There were ten spies and Israel sent over in the Canaan land. Ten spies lied. Two told the truth. The ten that lied, uh, they could have been telling things like they saw them. Like they perceive them, that don't make them true. Because they interpreted what they saw, that the truth was, we can't overcome them. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can overcome them, let's go get them right now. Why would they say that? Because God said, I've given you the land. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how much they outnumber us. God's already said it, so it is true. It's not reality, it's not truth. It doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's not true. So, what does the Word of God say about me? What does it say about my brother? The scriptures say things like, We are dutifully. Bible tells us that you're the apple of God's eye. Does the Bible tell us that we are a chosen generation? We are a royal priesthood. Aren't we children of God? Then if that is the truth, I don't ever need to be called saying things about my brother and my sister. David committed adultery. David lied. David murdered. David made all kinds of mistakes. But God said he was a man after my own heart. The fact that he lied is the truth. The fact that he committed adultery is the truth. But what is also the truth is that he was a man after God's own heart. What is also the truth is that God buried him in hope and that he was not going to leave his soul in hell, but the day was going to come when the seed of his body was going to produce a Messiah and subsequently one day was going to come and that Messiah was going to raise us all up out of the dead. That's the truth. So I've got to be very careful that the things that I'm saying about all the people that are in my life measure up to the word of God. So the Lord says, don't you call your brother foolish. Don't you call your brother wicked. Don't you call your brother all these ungodly things. Because I have said, I've washed him in my blood. And I put my righteousness upon him. And he is a chosen vessel unto me. Look at Jude chapter 1. Don't hear much of Jude. Don't preach much of Jude. 
Jude, verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. I know you've already heard this verse. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. It's the devil, church. Scrap sheets is law. He's the accuser of the brethren. Don't get more evil than the devil. Yet, Michael the archangel is careful in how he spoke. It says, the Lord The Bible's pretty clear. The Lord does a lot of rebuking of Satan. And the Lord has yet in his voice to do even more rebuking of Satan. So both friends and back and look, we know who wins. Michael the archangel basically says this I'm only going to say about you what God says about you. The Lord rebuked me, Satan. You see, the Word of God will judge all of us. Every man, every woman will stand before God and give an account of the deeds done in their body, the words that come from their lips, the thoughts that are in their mind, everything not washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We will stand before God and give an account. But God is the one pronounces. God is the one that is the source of truth. I don't want to say about my brother. I don't want to listen to someone say about my brother something that does not line up with the word of God. Now let's round our things How do we do this in everyday life? You know, how, how does this practically work? So glad you asked. Matthew chapter 18. The Lord probably realized somebody was going to ask this. His disciples kind of did. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, something bad happened. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. He shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of Two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And you thought that scripture was just what the preacher said when nobody comes to church with it. Oh. That's what it's when you're dealing with this problem, you said your first step is to go to your brother and your And only if that will not resolve the situation do you take one or two other people with you. 
that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything would be established. Why? Because it ain't coming before the church. Because one person said so. I told my brother to stop living that way, and I told him he needed to repent, and he said he ain't going to do it. Well, somebody else needs to look at that. Somebody else needs to go engage in that conversation what, what does this process do if we obey it and we're supposed to obey it? It minimizes the people involved. It keeps it to an absolute minimum. No one extra needs to know about the problem. Why? Because you don't even know if it's true. You don't know what the reality of the problem is. Because if I don't go to my brother, I'm just assuming. It keeps all the extra people out. Number two, it verifies the truth. It tries to get down to the truth by going to the source and then adding the witnesses that God requires. And then therefore it puts a stop to slander and lies. It's a stop to slander and lies. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached the very first Holy Ghost filled message, he was by himself. There were ten other witnesses there. If he preached the gospel wrong, somebody would have grabbed the back of his garment and said, You need to sit down, my brother. We're going to get this right. Yeah. It stops the slander and lies and it keeps unity in the church. Minimizing spread of a virus worse than COVID 19. Speaking evil of one another. It's bad. How many times does a problem come after us in our life, in family, especially in the church, that we don't handle this way? What have we at times done? We don't. We go and tell everybody else. Not the actual one person, everybody else, because we are trying our best to get everybody. What does that do? It causes division in the church. There's a situation years ago that, that my wife and I were trying to help, help some people navigate through. When we, we looked at folks and said, Listen to me, do not go talk to anybody else about this right now. Guess what? By the weekend, every living soul in the church has been talking or close to it. It causes division in the church. Here's the other thing we should do, because that, that, that's not You're not going to have a witness to the church. But here's what the other part of the church does. The other part of the church goes to the pastor and makes it the pastor's problem. Pastor, I heard about this. I'm not sure exactly what you want to do with it, but I'm going to be praying for you. And by the way, don't tell them I told you. Y'all laughing because it's the truth. We go and tell the pastor and make the pastor's problem. There's a time to talk to the pastor, but in the scriptures in verse 16, you're not verse 16. The pastor comes in when it's time to take somebody else with you to deal with the problem. Not when you're first trying to. Why is it? Why is that important? Why not go to the pastor first? You shouldn't want your pastor to think evil of his brother either. Oh, I know he's a very spiritual man, but that don't mean he's not human. That don't mean that he doesn't have to deal with that in his heart. 
nobody will ever work anything out. And everything always goes straight to the pastor, and the pastor becomes the church enforcer. He becomes the sin punisher. And how does that make people feel about the pastor? Is that how the church really is supposed to function? I know there's times the pastor has to be involved. But if we develop a culture that if somebody walks up, if a pastor walks up after church and says, Can you speak with me in my office for a few minutes? In the moment that you hear it, fear covers your body because you are thinking, oh dear God, what did someone tell him that I've now got to go talk to That's not the way the relationship between you and the ministry is supposed to be. But it happens that way when we won't do what God said, dealing with the things that are being said, the things that are being done. And if we would do that, most of it would get fixed. Well, most of it would get resolved long before it ever became church law. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I'm closing a wife and love me. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. It says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Why the the church? For the work of the ministry to be edified for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and of a perfect man, the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine of the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie awake to the sea. But speaking truth. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. 
hold still the Lord and let him labor, working with his hands and things which is good, that he may have a good to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edified, and that may minister grace to the hearers. Read about the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, claim, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake. Just stand all across this place. The altars are open if you want to come if you want to pray. You can pray at your view if that's what you prefer. But let's touch God tonight. That God will strengthen our resolve. That we won't believe evil words spoken of our brother, our sister, our neighbor, our friend, even our enemies. But we're only going to do things the way God has established we ought to do. We're only going to do things the way God has instructed because I'm going to make sure. I'm going to make sure to preserve the character, the integrity, the reputation of those in our love. Would you seek the Lord tonight? God help us.